Welcome to the Lead More Podcast. I'm your host, John T. Meyer. The Lead More Podcast is the show where we sit down with leaders of today to help inspire and create more leaders for tomorrow. I believe our world needs more leaders, and I want you to step up and be the next one. Are you ready? Here in episode 31, our first episode of the 2021 year, I sat down with the head women's volleyball coach at Augustana University, Jennifer Jacobs. Jen is a dynamic, fierce, intense, but very passionate coach. And that was really clear to me in our conversation. She leads her team in a very open, transparent way. Let's air out our feelings, let's communicate way. And it was really fun to dive into that. In just three seasons, she has a winning percentage well over 500. We talked about what's it like to coach this past 12 months during this pandemic, having finished your season in the fall of 19, and then just sitting around trying to stay in shape, trying to work out, not sure if you're gonna have a season in fall of 2020, hint, they did not. Now coming back here in the spring of 2021 for sort of a mini season, but still getting ready for the fall of 2021. Just a lot of ups and downs, so how do you as a coach keep your team focused, not just on athletics, but also academics? We also asked and talked about what should athletics look like at the youth age, right? I'm a father of two little girls. Like, should they play one sport? Should they play multiple sports? I got Jennifer's take on that. And lastly, Jennifer's been a big advocate at both Augustana University as well as the community of Sioux Falls around the topic of diversity and inclusion. As a female and a person of color, she knows the hurdles that she had to climb to get to where she is today and wants to make sure we create a more equitable, more fair work environment for both coaches and athletes. So it was a great conversation. Love Jennifer's passion. And I think you'll pick up on that really quick. All right, let's take a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Lead More podcast, the first one of the new year, 2021. I am here with Jennifer Jacobs, the head coach of the volleyball program at Augustana University. How are you, Jennifer? I'm really good today. I actually, when you said that it's the first one of the year, I didn't even think of that. I don't, my time is so messed up with the pandemic and everything. I just didn't even, it didn't dawn on me that I, I could be like on the first podcast of the year. So I'm super excited. Have you done a, I, I do a little like note-taking thing. I call it my eight for the day and, and I've already done the scratch off because I put 2020, you know, like we don't write checks anymore and people, no one writes checks, but like, I'm sure at some point you'll have to fill out a form and you'll date it 2020 and then you got to scratch it off. Yep. I've done that already. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm also in that same boat where I'm like, so ready to get rid of 2020. I'm like, get me into 21 as fast as possible. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's dive right in. I'm excited to chat today. Uh, you as a educator, as a coach, I mean, everybody had a wild 2020 as you just referenced. Um, but let's start by kind of unpacking how things had to change as a division two volleyball coach during a pandemic. So volleyball, of course, is a fall sport. So what was going on back in the spring? Did you still, we already started training, off-season workouts, recruiting. What, what, what was that happening when this first started? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm sure this is for most people. It feels like it was so long ago. Um, but I, I do remember, I, there's a couple of distinct things I definitely remember last spring. There was we March is typically our um, recruiting and um, like individualized training sessions before we get into kind of a spring season. And I just remember it was spring break. There was, we had just finished with individuals. So we maybe had like a glimpse of how our team was going to be. Um, and our team is in a really good spot right now. And 
physically and mentally. And so we were, we were excited. And I just remember my assistant, Michelle, she was to go recruiting um, that first week in a spring break in Colorado mm-hmm. to watch the younger kids. They were like 23s and 24s to 2023s, 20, 24s. And then she went for three days or two days. Um, and I was literally slated to go that next weekend to watch the older kids, to watch our commits, to watch the, the mm-hmm. 17s. Um, and it was that week that like the country shut down. So when I think back to like to how long ago that was, that was, and it, you know, everything was so slow, but it was so fast. Um, <laughs> and I remember just everything shutting down. And I remember by Wednesday of that week, like thinking, Oh, I'm probably going to cancel my trip. It was just, it was Denver to Colorado. So pretty easy to get there from Sioux Falls. And, and then by Friday, nobody was going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and the tournament had been canceled. So it was just one of those like wild times. Um, and, and I'm sure, again, like everybody, I just remember trying to figure out, it was like a weekly basis, right? It was like, okay, now what? Okay, now what? Or even a daily yeah. basis at that point, now what? Um, the school had, Augustana had decided to extend spring break for that second week. Um, we had, we would have started like team spring practices that week. Um, I mean, we and you get, I'm imagining you get like a certain amount of days, right? You get to practice. Yeah. Yep. We have uh, we have a kind of a six week period in the end of March into April where we have our spring season and it's scrimmages, um, you know, local, we stay close to home. Um, and so it's not as, I guess, intensive, um, uh, you know, as far as like trying to win or we just try and get in the gym and compete and play and, and get better is really like the spring mo- like yeah. Yeah. Mo- moniker. But, but yeah, I just remember having, and then, uh, and then, you know, fast forward, we went through, then it was like, okay, now we're going all online for the rest of spring. Um, and, and then how do you handle that? I do remember, I, I got to give it to the team. <laughs> Honestly, I, they, they were rock stars and they continue to be rock stars. And they just, um, we had our strength and conditioning coach has been awesome. He sent them, you know, at home workouts and all, you know, it was all in the news about what everyone was doing around workouts and how to, right. how to keep athletes engaged. Um, we ended up doing weekly phone calls uh, or zoom meetings with our team and it was all different, but, but we, you know, we just kind of plugged right along. Um, it, Do you feel yeah. like did it as a coach, did you, once you settled into like the, just the, the technical changes of doing it on zoom versus say on a court, did you still feel like you coached relatively the same or did you have to change your style and your strategies to motivate, inspire and coach? Um, yeah, I think it definitely, I've, I feel like I've always been the kind of coach or like leader that um, tries to tailor what I'm doing to what that person needs. I think that was really only amplified during that time. And now like still, it hasn't changed. Um, it just has re-highlighted that. Um, I definitely remember and still do like just, we just did way more individual outreach to every single player. There, we do check-ins. I do feel like that our coaching staff is very good at checking in with our players. Um, but there was just so much more of that. Um, mm-hmm. And then we, we had to be very, it was just being way, way more intentional. Um, and even though I felt like we already were intentional before, it was a whole other level. Um, and then when we hit the summer, uh, it, there was just a whole other slew of things that happened around the country during the, during the summer. So I, I feel like our communication as a team got better. The team, I would say, definitely thought that, like looking back from now, we talked about it in the fall. We were able to do some stuff in the fall. They, they said that, wow, you, like, you really do have to be intentional about our relationships or intentional about what we're doing. And it made them miss it. I mean, it made us all yeah. – you know, you get into the grind of season and as a coach and, and, and players, they're, they're middle of October. We hit, we hit a slump always. Every team does 
it's like for volleyball, it's like, how can you get over that or like power through that October slump? Um, but this time, this year in October, we were like, <gasps> I just wish I was in the October slump. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all like just wishing for that. So it just made you reappreciate everything, you know, yeah. um, which was, which is, that's the silver lining, right? That's, those are the pieces. So I know that's, I know six players on a court at one at the time, but how many on a roster, how deep does a roster go at college? Um, it depends on the program. I think our ideal number is anywhere between 14 and 16. Um, okay. usually they say, you know, to, to have a, a winning, I shouldn't say winning, um, to have a, a solid program, you want to have 12 ish minimum. Um, to, and you really need that to play six on six in the, in the gym and you yep. have a couple on each side. So I would say, you know, 15 is probably the ideal number. 16 is a little bit too big, but it's an even number. 14 is probably a little bit too small. So sure. And right now so we're at a, 17. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Right now we're sitting at 17. So we're a little bit bigger than we usually would be, but it just kind of worked out that way. So the kids come back, the student athletes come back in the fall, but you know by then that there is no season or was it still up in the air at that point? Well, I'll tell you what, that was another like wave too. So in June, um, I remember it being in June and being like, okay, I think we're doing Okay it's looking good. <laughs> we might get it. Yeah. Right. Summer in South Dakota wasn't, was a little more normal. I mean, not great, but. And, and I remember being um, like, uh, we were just, we, the way that South Dakota handled the pandemic compared to um, other States. Um, and, and our institution was always, I would say Augustana was very good. Stephanie Hersa Sandlin, our athletic director were very good about really trying to return to play as soon as we could, but safely. Um, Being a private school, we're not governed by an entire system, right? Like, so the Minsky system who runs all the state colleges in Minnesota, um, which a lot of our opponents are in, like they're just governed by a different larger Mm. entity. Um, And so I would say that we had a little bit more flexibility in that way um, to get, so to get students back to kind of normal. But yeah, I, but I will say this too then. So then when July happened and when that next wave came, um, we, we report usually mid-August. So as July came um, and went, and we were very honest with our players, very honest. We always we always have been an R, but it was very much like, okay, let's prepare for the worst, expect, or, you know, uh, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Like, that was the moniker that we did. And they did. They were at home working out. They're ready to go. Um, but as, as that summer went on, we were just like, uh, I don't know that this is going to happen. Um, and then it was like an increment. So that was like, the non-conference schedule got shortened and then it was the, the conference yeah. schedule got shortened and then all of a sudden, okay, well, we're looking at not having a, a full on season. So, so yeah, I got to give it to the team. They, <laughs> they're, they are all still seemingly in great spirits and, and kind of working through and we look for little things to celebrate for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's super smart. I mean, I, th- I think it's fascinating when we've watched even at the professional level, baseball, NFL, folks uh players come back and some look very prepared you can tell they've been doing their workouts and they've been mentally tough and and some not so much you know just out of rhythm injuries out of shape and so that's that's at the professional level where these people are paid to do it you know here these are student athletes who also have class schedules and exams and finals and papers to be able to like stay sharp how do you how do you nourish and nudge that as a coach to to say like hey i know that we might not be playing for anything right now, but like we still got to do the work. Yeah. I think part of it, um, I should say that the, the team is in a different spot. I think than other programs that sometimes it's a, it's a luck, it's luck, right? Um, our team had a really good season last year in 2019. Um, we have a lot of young players that got a lot of significant playing time. So I feel like that has, 
kind of fire has been there. Um, I don't think that they were satisfied with how we did last year. And I, and I, I feel like they knew that we could have gone farther. I mean, they were really, so this is the side note, uh, the division two um, elite eight for the NCAA championships was supposed to be here in fall of 20 um, at the Pentagon. And so, sure. I mean, our, our team really had this like, Ooh, championship at home. Like it's our hometown. Like why, you know, we were preparing for that, you know, as we do every year, but it's a little bit different when it's in your own yeah, hometown. You bet. Um, and so while I think the disappointment was then higher for us, you know, knowing not having a season, um, I definitely, that that was really what was motivating them to stay with it, especially during the time when they're at home or maybe not, you know, in our eyesight as much when they're, um, on summer break. So, yeah. And so we were talking a little bit offline. Now we're already into 21. You get to do kind of a mini spring season, but that's still maybe a little TBD or what's that going to look like for you guys? Yeah, I think we're trying to get through basketball seasons just started and wrestling seasons, winter sports just started for us um, and uh, um, at Augie. And so I think that if that goes well with the testing that they have in place um, as per NCAA guidelines, I think that we'll be able to do some stuff um, competing with actual, you know, against opponents. And it's interesting because the different conferences have done it different ways. So in our region, the MIAA and the GAC, they actually have a set volleyball schedule for the spring. And it is like we're doing – 10 competition dates and here's your schedule. Um, our conference has decided, decided like not to do that um, for whatever reason. And so it's kind of more up to the coaches just to figure out who we're going to play and when we're going to play and how that's going to look. So a little bit more piecemealed, um, but yeah, I, trying to make it the most competitive like as possible. And, and I keep telling my team, okay, we're going to compete this spring and that's a very big deal. And we're going to try to hit regional opponents because it's a very big deal in our area and mm-hmm. our conference. And we're also going to be planning for next year um, because we have everybody back. And so there's nothing, even though late 80 here is, is not here this year, um, this 21 it's in Tampa, um, which I, I would love to go to Tampa in, um, <laughs> in November. So in November, yeah. <laughs> December. Yeah. Then, then let's plan for that. So that was going to be, we won't stay on the pandemic the whole time, but my last question is going to be just to understand how NCAA sports are working. So if I play the spring season and I'm a senior this year at Augie, do I get, if I want to, do I get to come back or is that my senior season? Or when you say everyone will be back, how does that work in terms of eligibility? Yeah. So everybody we have back, regardless, they weren't going to graduate anyway, but we, everyone who had a season was supposed to have a senior season this past fall was granted a season of eligibility to get to get so, so we've been working with each of the players, even the younger ones to figure out because they, they granted everybody that, that season back. And so even the, the sophomores and juniors and trying to figure out schedule wise, like, would you stay for a fifth year? Would you get sure. your master? Um, you know, that's an option for some, some people and some not. So it just kind of is an individual basis. Hmm. Interesting. Made recruiting interesting though. <laughs> I will say that. Yeah. Cause they're probably trying to project how big the roster might look like, or you are too. And the players are as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And <clears throat> I mean, thinking about COVID and, and when you talked about testing, like even if you're heavy at 17 people, it doesn't take many to all of a sudden barely have a roster to play. Yep. And I think in the small, I think, I mean, experience is its own teacher, right? And we always talk about like, we had a moment, I think every team on our, on our campus had a moment where someone got it or someone was exposed and it shut down the entire team for two weeks. And I think those moments were enough for, to, for just a wake up call for our mm-hmm. team to be like, and our, and our, and our team is very 
responsible and you know they're not they're not out you know in the community and doing stuff and every time they go somewhere they're wearing masks um but i think just those little scares were just like oh i i don't want to jeopardize our season no way um they joked about they live this is a little side note do they live in um almost like some of the dorms in these two kind of volleyball apartments yeah. um and they 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 were trying so hard to get the team to be able to quarantine in those two apartments for the entire season. Like, can we have a season? Can we play? And we can all live in the same place for two, like for the whole time. And I, I, I was on board. I'm like, I will try and make that work. Trust me. So. Well, you love to see that uh, sense of responsibility and commitment, right. To the mission and to the cause and to have the season. They just want to play, which you got to definitely respect that. Yeah. So last question on that. How have you grown as a coach because of the pandemic? Oh, um, immensely. <laughs> I think, I think the longer one coaches and the older one gets in coaching, um, the more you take things in stride. Um, and you just kind of go with the flow. I, it's funny because it's funny you ask that because now, um, and we obviously have a, a different, we know more now about the pandemic and COVID than we yeah. did back then in March. Um, but, and I probably wouldn't have said this to you back in March, but, you know, you just freak out about less things late, like less things. Um, and you just tend to just kind of ride the wave. Um, whatever, whatever's new probably happened before. And so just that experience just happens. Um, you know, I, I probably have less tightness in my chest now than I did back in July, <laughs> even though we still don't have a season set and we don't know how the fall is going to look even. We're just, you know, praying and hoping for the most and the best. Um, mm-hmm. But you, you do really have to just kind of take things in stride and make the best of the day or the the minute or the moment or whatever it is. So that I would say it's probably the biggest way I've changed or grown or lesson I've learned, I think. And I say that in the same breath, I will also tell you, I always forget that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, uh, that's one of my fears, I suppose, as, as a leader is like when this vaccine truly does uh, make its way across the world, um, how quick will we just sort of slide into old habits and, and old routine? Like, we all are, are, especially right now, this time of year, new year, are reflecting on the lessons learned, right? And live in the moment and be more grateful and just gratitude and, and, and yeah, reminding ourselves to cherish these lessons now. Because you're right, I think we have learned a lot of, they call it like anti-fragility, right? We're definitely more adaptable and able to to take things in stride because we've had to. So much, we've just learned so little is in our control. Uh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> you just got to well, let's talk a little bit about you. So you were, uh, you grew up in St. Paul. You were a, a volleyball player, obviously in high school. At what, when did you decide that you, did you decide you wanted to be in coaching or did you sort of fall into coaching? Um, I sort of fell into it. I mean, I've always been coaching. So I went to St. Paul central, which is right in the heart of St. Paul. Um, and played volleyball there about my junior year. I realized I could maybe play in college. Um, and so I started to play club and, and kind of get exposure that way. Um, ended up playing at Minnesota State Mankato. Um, but I was that typical, I guess, I don't know. I just didn't know what I wanted to do after, after college. I had no idea. And so I just kind of moved back home to the, to the Twin Cities area. And my first job was at Harding High School, which is a school that's in the same um, same public school system. And I was a pair on a special ed classroom. And so, I, I mean, I have a psych degree. You can kind of do whatever with that, you know, and <laughs> If you would have asked me probably what I be what I thought I would be doing now, ten years or maybe twenty years, fifteen years ago now, I, I thought I was going to be um, a high school principal. I was like in the high school realm. That was what I was doing. My master's in educational administration, K twelve licensure. Like I was, 
that's, I was, when I started working at Harding, I was like, okay, I like this. I could see myself doing that. Um, and then it was the AD from, come, I went from Harding to working at Richfield Public Schools, just first string suburb of Minneapolis. And after three years or four years there, the AD there said, and I was coaching club the entire time I'd been coaching. I'd always had my kind of like toe in volleyball. Um, and was fortunate to coach some very good players in club, but he just, he brought the job at Augsburg up, which is where I was previously um, before Augustana. And he said, you know, there's a half admin, half volleyball job at, at um, Augsburg. You should take a look at it. And I did. And that's basically how I made kind of all the connections and, and met all the people that I needed to meet to kind of bring me here. So cool. uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a crazy ride. Um, I know things aren't done and we're still moving, but it's just fun to kind of look back now. Now that I'm old. <laughs> right, <people. laughs> I don't know about that. This is your first head coach job, right? At the college level. Yep. At Augustana. Yep. Okay. Yep. So this makes, reminds me of when we had uh, John Stiglmeyer, the SDSU football coach on the show. He said, you know, one of the things that's really tough about college sports and family is how fluid the, the jobs are, right? Like you have to pick up and move your family because of uh, your, if you had success, you, you move to the next level. If you didn't have success, maybe it's, your time is up. Um, you know, so I suppose you also didn't expect to find yourself in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. No, <laughs> I will say, I will tell you a funny story when I, before I applied for this job. So I applied for this job in February of 17 or whatever. Cause I, I got it in March of 17 the December before that, so December of 16, mm-hmm. um, Elite Eight was here. Um, and the NSIC was holding like kind of an all NSIC uh, former players. But when I was playing, it was in the NCC. Um, but kind of same same four schools are now here in the NSIC conference. And so they were hosting um, kind of an, an all-player reunion or whatever. And so I was like, oh, I'll drive down to Sioux Falls and, and go. <laughs> like four hours. Like it, I was, you know, whatever, doing nothing for that break. And I, I thought I'd come. And Concordia St. Paul was in was in the finals um, or semifinals. And so I, I knew the coaches, know the coaches very well there. And now I coach against them, but had known them for years. And, and it was a snowstorm. It was like an <laughs> Arctic, Arctic blast snowstorm, like the classic South Dakota, like wind blowing everywhere. You can't see anything in front of you. I'm driving down here and I, I'm like, what am I doing? And I remember driving away from that tournament and being like, I could never live there. <laughs> I kid you not. I, you can't make things up. Like what? Three months later, here I am moving to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. <laughs> so, Famous last words, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Words, right? I know. Yeah, it's funny. But I, and I love South Dakota and I love Sioux Falls. It's just, it's just so funny that like that concept that you make in your head. That's great. So you've had three seasons under your belt. I see you have a very successful record over 553 and 37, well over 500. Um, so you've had some success. What have you learned about coaching at this level of, of collegiate volleyball where you have to, um, you know, I'm sure you have scholarship players, maybe not all of them. Um, but you have these student athletes and, and it's obvious, it's like these students have two full-time jobs. How do you juggle that as a coach and, you know, helping nurture both the athlete part and the student part? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. I really, I really appreciate Augustana's commitment to academics. I'll say that like overall, um, and number one, because it brings, it brings students and student athletes that are committed to that. Um, sure very it's a very different experience than other schools i think at times um because of our academic profile um 
and our players, they compete at a very high level. So they're like, I mean, I'll put it this way. We had one C this past fall in grades, one C, mm. the rest one of us, it's all A's and B's. That's it. And, um, we had a 3.73 GPA Wow. that you can't, that's, that's so hard to do at Augustana. I don't think people like understand that, like the, how hard that is compared to a different school or something like that. And I just, they, we, the, the, that's not me. That is our, that is how bright our students are when they come in. Um, and they are extremely committed and extremely driven, um, that I don't have to worry about grades and other coaches are on that same, are in that same space. So it's easy to support them in that, um, because they rarely need a whole lot. They don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't need to be a coach that's like, you know, watching somebody study for a test um, because they yeah. already are. Maybe I need to get our players to sleep more. Um, <laughs> when we're on the road, I need them to rest and not, you know, be studying till 2 a.m. So it's more, it's like the opposite side. It's like good problems to have, right? Um, but I think, um, I think that, that, and Augustine is special. It's just, it's, it takes care of, of the students. It really does. Um, it takes care of the student athletes. Um, they're, they're so well supported. Um, if you look back, you were talking about um, the, the, how I'm in my going into my fourth season or now going to be fifth season in 21. Um, I'm the most freshman of the coaches at Augustana. Um, oh, wow. I, yeah. I believe, I believe the next one after me would be, I think it was Oshesky in football. I think he's been here 10 years. Everyone after that is like 12 plus. Um, wow. at least. So, so the, the coaching staff's very close. We, we stick together. Um, I think that, people see that and players of all sports want to be a part of that kind of family feeling. Community, yeah. 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 That's huge. I think that's huge. And that's part of the, that's w- what drew me here. Um, really. Um, I don't know. I'm probably going completely off of what you asked me, but no, 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 that's good. Well, clearly you have to balance. It's not like you're, um, Hey, we're just here to play the game and have some fun. And you right. you're also competitive as your record shows. Right. We, we did have a tough year in 18. We just don't talk about that year. I mean, kidding. <laughs> We're very open with our team. Our team, um, and I think our, our players uh, appreciate that. We so you mentioned that, yeah, you mentioned that twice. What does that mean as someone who didn't play college sports? Like, what does that mean to you when you say we're open? Like, would another team not be, would other teams yeah. not share that type of stuff? Or yeah. just use an example. I would just say that it's a very, um, it's a very intentional um, coaching style that I have um, and that um, my staff has um, because I've hired for that. Um, we just, we don't sugarcoat things with our players. We're definitely not a yeller. You won't see, I'm not like uh, uh, Bobby Knight out there screaming, you know, Hey, you can't do that anymore. Anyway. I've been throwing any chairs recently. Yeah. Don't not doing that. And, but especially as a woman, as a person of color, you really can't do that stuff either. Sure. Um, but we, we are very upfront with the players um, and we work through things together. So we had a, I inherited a team that was very, very good. Um, in 2017, I had five starting um, seniors that retur- were returners. They had made the NCAA tournament before, the regional tournament before I got here. Um, the previous coach was here for 18 months and was here for two seasons, so he was in and out. Um, and so the, the success of the team had in 2017 really had nothing to do with me. And that's the other thing about coaching that people don't think about. Like the, 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 the sophomore class, the current sophomore class we have now is the, my first full recruiting class. Mm. So the previous success of the program, I had nothing to do with. I came in and helped facilitate some things, but really that, that team was set and what they were going to do on the court or off the court. Um, and we had a dip, I would say, once that fifth, that, that those, all those, those seniors left, um, the leadership changes. 
um, and what, who are going to be our next leaders on the team? What's that look like? And we had, we were young as far as experience on the court. Granted, people had been in the program, um, but they hadn't had playing time. And it's a whole other ball game. Being on the team is one thing, but to play and to start is a whole other ball game, especially in our conference. Our conference is so good. Um, and so we had, we had a tough year, 2018, bless that group. Um, but we were really trying to figure out what our identity was and who we were. And you can't do that and also try and win games at the same time. But no one gives you that grace. And when sure. I say no one, I mean, like, you know, media or critics or whoever. Yeah. Um, but we knew, the team knew for sure. And I remember in spring of 19, the then, then juniors and seniors at that moment saying, well, that season's never happening again. Um, and we were like, thank you. Like, we're on the same page here. <laughs> so... <laughs> So they, they kind of, we went, we'd had that tough dip, but we had to, we don't, if we don't have a season like that, we don't have a season like we did in 2019. Um, if we don't have a season like we did in 2019, we don't have the commitment that we have right now. And so we always talk about that and we don't shy away from that at all. Um, it's the, those, those inner workings of the team that like, that people don't get to see or hear about, um, sure. but our team knows it and believes it. And so, so how would you describe like the culture of your Augustana volleyball team? How would you yeah. describe it? Oh, how would I describe it? Um, Open, honest communication. Um, we, the team is, it's very much team driven and team owned. Um, it's been a very big goal of mine. I got that. I think I've, as a player, wanted that when I played. Um, Jane Becker, who is the, my former boss, she's the head volleyball coach at um, Augsburg. Uh, she would really just, I got it from her or how to facilitate it for a team. You know, everything was if a team was looking to the coach to give the answer for that, whatever it was on the court, off the court, how to make something work. Um, she always asked that same question back. Um, so, you know, how do we get so-and-so to want to come to lift or how do we get so-and-so to, um, you know, put that ball away when you, when we do that, like that kind of thing. Like we can do the technical stuff as a coach. We can teach you that and we can teach you how to stay connected as a group. Um, we can facilitate that for sure. But when, until the team does it themselves, um, we like, like a team can only go so far. And mm-hmm. so we really focus on that. It is team led. If we have a losing season, it's because the entire team had a losing season. If we have a winning season, it's because the entire team coaches involved had a losing season. Um, that so yeah, sense. that's what we talk about it being very team driven. It seems like a very like modern approach to coach like sports in general and sort of like the, maybe the expectations of young student, like young adults as, as they're, you know, they want to have more of that autonomy and control The sort of command and control style of coaching has evolved a lot. I think. I agree. I totally agree. I also think that, um, you get, I mean, that's, that's how you get buy-in, right? If people feel like they're the ownership, they buy in. That's a classic leadership trait, but it's very hard to do. And I feel like, um, the old style school of coaching, maybe not old's the wrong terms. I know older coaches that do this. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah that the classic, like the coach knows everything and, you know, and, and has all the answers. And that's just, you're right. That's not what student athletes are looking for now. Um, and that's not what wins. I think long-term sure it might win like one season or two seasons, but not long-term. Building a um, program. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the, the teams that win over time consistently are ones where the program kind of takes care of itself as you, as you go. And it changes with recruiting. You can recruit for that too. Um, you know, we, I can tell in a second if a kid can play for us on the court or off the court. I, that doesn't take very long um, to determine that athletic ability. It's more of what their personality is like and, and what they're about as a person. So, yeah, that's interesting. That's a great segue. I wanted to ask you about 
youth sports in America. And so uh, I'm a father of two little girls, five and two. I know that you also have a daughter, two, two years old. Yep. Um, she's almost- and so volleyball in particular, but really every sport, it seems like, but volleyball along with, you know, say soccer or basketball has sort of that, that club uh, component in our country. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of playing time, a lot of weekends, a lot of traveling, um, you know, if you're not, if you're not on the track right away as in first, second or third grade, you're going to miss out, um, that talk about playing one sport year round versus several, you were probably fairly similar in age. I'm curious, what's your perspective on that? How do you view that as a coach? How do you, how does that play a role into your recruiting and also as a mother? Yeah. Oh, it's hard. Some of those hard ones because I'm on the fence. Um, you know, physically we know science says that when, when athletes are dual or triple sport athletes, it's better for their bodies in the long run. We know that. Um, we also know like just not by research, but ad hocly that like, there's only the few that can compete at even high division three or high NAIA division two, division one, um, in one sport really, really well if they've been a triple sport athlete and hadn't specialized, quote unquote, specialized in a sport. Um, so I, I sit on the fence. Um, I, you know, we, I, think, I think we've had great athletes. Um, I think of one player right now, um, Mira, who is, she jumps out of the gym. She didn't start playing club until her senior year in high school, which is really, really late. But she's also a freak athlete. Um, sure. And you know it's going to come – the fruition at some point in time. Now, had she started club as a 14 year old, she probably won't be at Augustana. She's, she's got division one, like power five numbers as far as vertical and kind of what she can do physically. Um, so it's just one of those kind of things where I just on the fence and think about being a parent. And I think about what I would want for my daughter and I just want her to be happy. It all respond, you know, goes back to that, but low key, I really do want her to play club so I can go travel and all. <laughs> she even likes volleyball let's just cross fingers she likes volleyball my luck she's gonna hate it <laughs> you know what I mean? sure sure yeah i just think I, I i think your answer is correct in that it's much more nuanced there isn't an easy answer or a blanket answer that applies to everyone um but yeah we haven't even gotten into the phase of you know activities yet with our kids we tried soccer a little bit again like last year and it was sort of a after 10 minutes i'm over it type of thing and <laughs> So we haven't quite got to that point where like they have chosen something that they really see as an interest. Um, but yeah, growing up in uh, Brookings, South Dakota, I played multiple sports in a smaller ish town. Um, but yeah, I also didn't play college sports. So like I, I didn't specialize. And so yeah, I always just think that's an interesting, it's an interesting topic and I don't know what the right answer is, but I wanted to hear your thought on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do wish, I do hope that, I think we're getting better. I think with strength and conditioning, we're doing, we're getting better. We just saw a lot, like coached at a very high level club for a very long time from 05 into 16. And there wasn't a lot of injuries in the club, but the club did a very good job and had the resources behind it. Um, and of course those who had the resources were able to play. So that's a whole other topic. Yeah, um, true. A really good job around strength and conditioning. Um, that was huge. They were one of the first clubs in Minnesota, I think to hire an actually like collegiate level strength and conditioning coach to come in and do some sort of, some stuff because we just see so if you don't have that at the young age then you you see so many more injuries later on yeah that's interesting you just barely touched on it there so i want to transition uh we touched on it before we hit record 
you do a lot of, uh, you're passionate about diversity and inclusion work uh, in the community. And I suppose that Augustana too. And so I asked you if that was a part of your role and it sounds like it's not formally, uh, but maybe you've embraced it as a passion. So let's start there. That was obviously also a very important key part of 2020 and hopefully beyond. Um, talk to us about your perspective uh, on why you've chosen that as a, a topic that you're passionate about as a leader. Yeah. Um, let me, I'll go back. I'll give you a little bit of history. I remember, um, so when I was in high school, um, there were three basketball players, the team, the basketball team, the, the boys basketball team when I was in high school was very, very good. And I remember there was three friends of mine, um, who were amazingly talented. And I remember being, you know, that junior year where I was like, oh, I could actually like get my school paid for because of my athletic ability. Um, sure. and that, that was a big deal. I remember being that, um, but I also come from, I'm adopted. I come from a middle-class white family that college is expected. Um, sure. but, but I remember being like, wow, I don't have to then pay for it. I could figure this out. Um, as long as I'm good enough volleyball wise, um, I can at least somehow get in and make that work. But I remember those three players, um, being, better than me athletically as in like they really I mean there was that was back in the day when I mean North Carolina and Duke and like those coaches would come to our high school games and I remember being a fan wow. of the crowd and be like oh my gosh like you know who's here you know this weekend seeing or this week seeing these guys um and that I remember them struggling in school and I remember graduating and and either they weren't graduating with me or they weren't using their talents or ability they definitely none of them went on to college at least in that moment and so I remember like and they were all black males. And for some reason that has just stuck with me since then. Um, and I don't think I realized that until later in my careers. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that was a big, I, I do still, I do still believe that education is a way, um, to make a better life for yourself. And I know that sounds very lofty. Um, and, and sometimes people really do say that that's not possible. The American dream is not not possible anymore. And maybe it's not to some extent, which I, I do also agree with, but education is at least an option. You know, if it's a, it's a piece to try and get to that next step. Open um, some doors. Yeah. 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 And I, and, and so that's where that started. Um, and I remember I actually was working at, uh, where was I? I was at Harding right in the time when No Child Left Behind Act came. So I remember pouring time over those, the data points that came out and how, um, black and Latino students were just not succeeding at a rate that, that white and Asian students were at least. And that's what that school at that time was looking at that data points. And I was working in the college and career center um, before hmm. I moved over to Richfield. And we were, I was working to get more systemically non-dominant students into college. And I was working through their, with their essays and their, how do you write an application? How do you fill out the FAFSA? Um, and mm -hmm. I just remember trying to up those numbers because I, I believe so much in education. So anyway, um, that has just been speckled into my life, I think, throughout time. Um, and it's led into getting, doing more research around um, diversity and inclusion and, and what does equity mean? Um, and and what, is, what does that mean as far as funding in K-12 schools? Um, I think that was where it really started formally. Um, and, then, and then we just bring it up to now in 2020 when when the murder of George Floyd was very close to home for me and not, and, and actually Philando Castile um, was also close to him. I went to high school with him. Um, and so I actually oh. physically knew him and, and it was hard. It was hard. His, his death was very hard. Um, and, and then I think 
where we were as a society, as you know, you were there too in 2020 when George Floyd, um, we, people, we were just done. We were just done yeah. with that. Yeah. And, um, we were going to start figuring out how to make some change and start to really push for it. Um, so, and that's how I ended up starting um, doing some trainings for our staff at Augustana. So when that occurred, um, Josh Morton, our AD, asked if knowing he knows my passion and knows what I've done before and just asked, you know, would I be willing to do some some diversity, equity, inclusion trainings for our staff? And so I set up a series of what I call courageous conversations. And it's kind of a tag of what I've done before with staff developments um, over the years. Um, I kind of tailor them to what what the organization needs at that time. Mm -hmm. But every other month and they were all on Zoom. I'd hope to do them in person, but whatever. (laughs) So, but we, we have taken this journey together. Um, and a lot of diversity inclusion work in my opinion starts with knowing oneself and examining what oneself thinks first, um, standing out to the circle of influence, um, and then getting through some, some actual educational pieces. Um, what is critical race theory? What does it mean? What are the stats that we're facing? Um, and so that's kind of where we're at, we're at, we're at right now is, is that space. So we're going to start looking at actually um, what, white, what, what white privilege is um, in February. So. so this is ongoing still. Yes. Since That's great. I love that. Yep. Ongoing. And, and, then, and since then, since we started it, I've been running them and we, they're, they're conversations. So I build them so that people are actually having more communication. So I'm not, I don't claim to be the, the expert in the work. Um, but I do believe that the conversations, I will present the, some information and the conversation that people have is what gets people thinking about it. Right. And, um, we will, I'm going to say we started in August, I believe. Um, and so we would spend like half an hour and I would spit some information or some, a topic or a conversation or a question out. And then, and then everyone would split up and talk in groups mm. for the next kind of 45 minutes. That's so kind of in the format. Yeah. Um, and it's and I'm excited because since then we've we've now created a diversity and inclusion um, uh, committee um, within athletics to determine where we're going to go next. There's a couple things around um, some actual actionable items. Um, we're all going to start looking at what we're doing recruiting wise um, around intentionality, um, what we're doing around support once students get to campus. Um, I, I can't even like begin to even tell you talk, the tip of the iceberg as far as what we're looking at doing. So that's exciting. Um, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. Taking a very short break here with our conversation with Jennifer Jacobs to let you know, I just wrote a blog post about read more for lead more, you know, pun intended there. So one of the questions we ask in each episode at the end to leaders is what's a book that you have read recently that you really were inspired by or a book that you pass along, give to other people. So I aggregated all those answers from the first 29 episodes or so and put it into a blog post. To, so if you're looking for a reading list, to kickstart your new year in 2021, go check out medium.com slash John T. Meyer. That's where you find the blog post. I'll send it in my Twitter and my Instagram as well, at John T. Meyer. If you're looking for some good books recommended by some great leaders, go check it out. Now back to the show. You're definitely taking advantage of your platform, it sounds like, and, and, and Josh gave you you know a chance to step up. What would you say to a leader, you know, in, in, even at the micro level of just like your team, or I'm an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, my company, or even just at home, your family, like, what's the first, it sounds like, yeah, I guess I don't want to put words in your mouth. What's the first step that you would recommend? Uh, having the reason why it's called courageous conversations is because it takes so much courage to talk about uncomfortable things. Yeah. And I don't, race is an uncomfortable topic, particularly race. Um, 
and that's my lens. Um, I, I, I understand and acknowledge that other people come from other lenses as well. Um, and, and other trainers or people have other conversations in other, um, in other realms that maybe I don't. Um, but I would say that if we don't talk about tough things, like how do you grow? I mean, how does one get to that? And why do we want to stay stagnant also? <laughs> I mean, I, that just never, that has never been in my lexicon. I don't know why. Um, but I just, there's just so much more we can do for people and with people and, um, one just has to be willing to, to be vulnerable and have those conversations, whatever it is. Um, and it doesn't have to be around race. I mean, any, any tough conversation, you just got to be able to just go there and like get in there. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's just kind of my no, I love that. Yeah. And it sounds like that's very reflective of how you run your team. When you talked about open, honest conversations, transparency, uh, there should, it sounds like people know how everyone's feeling on the team and everyone's like got each other's back. Yes, I would like to think so. And I think, um, well, I'll put it this way. We laugh, my fiance, um, he, his nickname for me within his family is Blunt Bonnie. (laughs) (laughs) Because I tend to just say things how they are. And maybe I should sometimes sometimes cushion them a little bit. Um, But I do, I am one of those kind of like, I get the raw out there. And then I do um, pack people in and and give them hugs and figure things out later. But I, I do, I am typically the one that kind of drops things on people. <laughs> well, I'm sure as you found living in South Dakota, that's not like maybe a, a, it's a generalization, but not a strength, the core strength of maybe South Dakotans and Midwesterners is some of that brutal honesty. Midwest in general, I think. It's funny though, because I'll go out to, um, I have a cousin out in Boston and um, I, I couldn't live in Boston. <laughs> I think like everyone's it's a whole nother level. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Um, well, that's important work. So thank you for your leadership there. It sounds like not just in the community of, of Augie, but also in, of Sioux Falls. So, um, keep, keep on doing that. Cause that's another maybe fear, I guess, of 2021 is that we don't seize that moment. Right. I mean, we certainly seize the moment back in May, June, July, August, but that it doesn't peter out that we can keep that momentum to create long lasting change, not just short-term change. Uh, agreed. And as you said, the leaders that we tend to see are older white males and not that older white males aren't great leaders, um, but there also are other people that are great leaders too. And how do we cultivate that and the acceptance of what a leader looks like? Yeah. Give them that voice. Yep. Let's end with a little bit of rap, rapid fire. Uh, okay. I don't know if you're uh, a big reader or not. So whether either a book you've read recently or a book that you recommend to folks often. Yes. Okay. The one I flew through in, um, a day and a half, I think. One thing I will say the pandemic has given me is more time to read, or I've been devoting more time to read. I'll put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. The two-year-old running around is kind of hard, but I, I tried. <laughs> um, the book is I'm Still Here, and it's by Austin Channing Brown. I think it's okay. her I got to double check. Um, the first name is Austin. Um, but it's so good. Um, it's very short, very quick read. I probably read it a day and a half. Um, wow. And then the other book that I've just gotten into, which I love, it's just very long, um, is Obama's new book. Um, and so I do take a break. I'll, I'll read a chapter and take a break because it is very into detail. Um, his, his pre- it's the first four years of his presidency, yeah. essentially. Um, but I don't know if you have a plan to read it or not, but it is so good. Um, I've already purchased it on audio, on Audible because I have oh, a big yeah. audio and he reads it, which I think I love listening to him to speak, but... I haven't committed yet. Cause yeah, it's like 22 hours. So it's a commitment. Yes. I would recommend it reading it or listening to it. 
he is a very good writer and a very good orator. And actually, what's interesting, what I find interesting about it right now, not that I want to get political, um, but the the space I'm at in the book right now is actually like it just it's a, it gives I like the, I like context and history, mm-hmm. um, and so it actually gives a lot of context to why we are where we at now, where we were the past four years. It's interesting um, mm-hmm. hearing about people that were at play then that he was working with, and then now we're where we're at now. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm very obsessed with the book. So that's great. I love yeah. that. I want to. I got to get, get started. Uh, the pandemic was stressful. Still is stressful. Obviously, how do you unplug, de-stress? What's a hobby of yours when you need to just clear your mind? Yeah. Well, my my, my one thing that I could immediately de-stress on was traveling. Um, and since I haven't been able to travel, I would say I've I've reengaged in reading a lot. Um, reading cool. a lot. I'll listen to music. Um, I've enjoyed while it has been tough being when going from a work, you know, working all the time in the office to working from home 24 seven. Um, I've enjoyed more time with, with the kiddo as well. So cool. just have those moments. do you like to play volleyball or do you just, because you coach it so much, you're like, I don't need to play it. Yeah. I don't need to play it. I think we <laughs> sailed <laughs> my body hurts. It also is one of those things where when you're really good at something at one point and then you just, your, your body literally can't do that anymore. Um, it's a little disappointing. <laughs> so I just have, I'll just coach it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what's your superpower? What's the one thing you do better than anyone else? I like this question. Um, I, this is going to sound odd, um, but I really like to think, and I'm, people may tell me I'm crazy for saying this, but I really like to think I'm good at people. I really, I'm, I'm not a super social butterfly. I can be, um, but so whatever that means, whether that's being a good listener or talking or hearing people or organizing people, I'm really good at feeling, finding people's strengths and putting them, I think, into places that are finding places, helping them find places they'd succeed in, you know, things like that. Yeah. Well, it's clear that that's a, a, at the front forefront of your program uh, in yes, volleyball as well. Um, I ask when parents come on the show as a, as a one myself, what's the piece of parenting advice you give? <laughs> uh, yeah, I told you jokingly before, don't, don't, <laughs> but no, that's not, that's, I, but I did not expect to be a parent. Um, I, I, if you would have asked me 15 years ago, I would not be a parent just by choice. Um, but Junie okay. has come to our lives and she's amazing. Um, hi, hi, biggest piece of advice. Nothing is, as, it's a classic, like nothing is as big as it like feels or worse as it feels or small as it feels. So, mm-hmm. you know, and you know this as a parent, especially of little ones, you can have like the best day of your life and then you're still coming home and you have to pick up diarrhea. Like that's just what happens. <laughs> like It's just like, that's life and you just roll with it. Or um, you can have the worst day, you know, at work or, you know, whatever. And you come home and your kid is all she wants to do is hang out with you and read a book. And so it just like wipes the entire day away. So yep. just that, like that great equalizer and, and um, it's humbling. Parenting is so humbling in so many ways. Um, <laughs> I'm really not that important. I am to this kid, but like in general, like yeah. we all are just not that important to the, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's such a good, that's so true. I don't know that's, that's a great, advice, but it's just a perspective that I definitely have had to. Yeah. Just, absorb if, if you didn't have it before that uh, having a child will give it to you for sure yeah, yeah. absolutely yes. um, and I say one more thing sorry I'm yeah kidding. go for it no 
Um, I don't know who told me this, um, but it is very true because I feel like you get to relive life through your kid, not through your kid, like in that sense, but I mean, seeing her when the first time she says no, or the first time she um, started to recognize the dog, I mean, things like that, you're just like, oh, I remember that. Like, that was fun, not remember it, but I, I you know, it was yeah. like childhood piece. So, I mean, we were talking about, we can't wait till someday when it's time and God willing, we'll have enough funds to be able to afford it. But like being able to go to Disney with her, like you just kind of relive those. Moments. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and then this show, of course, is about leadership. So lastly, who are the leaders or mentors that you look up to that have shaped you? Yeah, I mean, I have I have a lot of people that I look up to and, and lean on. Um, I think they ch- have changed kind of over time, but I've I, the big wigs are like 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 the Obamas of the world um, in that. But when I think of people that have really touched my lives closer, I think of um, Jeff Swenson, the former athletic, he is currently still the athletic director at Augsburg. Um, he's always been a, a big influence in my life. Um, my mom, my mom raised me pretty much as a single parent. Um, and that was a choice that she, she chose to, to not remarry um, upon, after her, my father got divorced. And so she just wanted to raise me. She wanted to focus her time on that. And so, you know, people who make those kind of sacrifices um, for somebody else really stick out in my my mind. I think of um, Jane Becker, again, who I coached with and coached for. Um, I think of Stephen West, who is a, um, I think he, I don't know where he is now, but he was a superintendent of schools in Eden Prairie for a while, or, or assistant superintendent, was a, once a, was a principal in my time when I was at Richfield. Um, people who have just taken me under their wing and said, here's what you need to do. I'm going to walk you through it you know, whatever, whether it's professionally or personally, um, those are the, the, like the leaders and the people I think about that I want to be like. Um, yeah. That's great. I really like people. I really appreciate leaders who get like, don't get too big, big ever for their bridges. Like, you know, and you hear about those big time leaders like an Obama or like, I don't know, I don't know who you think, um, names wise, but they're never too big to to talk to one-on-one to, somebody normal. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I agree. That's great. And it sounds like the, you know, like very common on the shows, certain people along the way at those, each of those different checkpoints in your career that really stand out that kind of helped you push you to that next chapter. I love your point about not being stagnant, right. And always pushing to get to the next thing. And we call that better every day at Lemonly, but it's very clear that you have that at your program as well. So, well, thank you, Jennifer, for coming on the show. This is a great conversation. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I, I hear so much good things about your company too. And so it, it sounds like you guys have a great culture. And, and also, I know we're talking about what I do with my team, but I, when you first came on and talked with the the group, and it just sounded like you had a lot of good things going on. Of course, I internet stalked you, <laughs> like look <laughs> to see what what the company does, and I and I think it's just really cool. So and, it, and it's thank you. It's awesome. And I used to live downtown Sioux Falls, so it's awesome that you know you're. Oh yeah. Here. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I love DTSF. Well, yeah. we'll follow you along the spring. Good luck with the, the season. And then of course, again, and hopefully what'll be more of a normal season in the fall. Um, but thanks so much for coming on the show today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. That is episode 31 with head women's volleyball coach, Jennifer Jacobs. Thank you, Jennifer, for your time and for your passion for making a difference both at Augie and in Sioux Falls. So it's very inspiring. That's all we have for this week's episode. Reminder, we drop new episodes every Thursday, coming every Thursday this year in 2021, new episodes of the Lead More podcast. 
You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like them, or just go to leadmorepodcast.com and just listen directly right there from your phone or from your iPad or from your car, wherever you want to. Go take a listen. I'm John T. Meyer. You have a great day.